child abuse became mm -hmm. a daily ration in my home. Wow. And so I endured very severe beatings. She would, she had a refrigerator cord that she would use to beat me with. And I often as a child would look around my neighborhood and see the other families and see other single mothers mm -hmm. and other just mothers in general, whether they were married or not. Mm -hmm. And I realized that even at 10 years old, mm -hmm. that I was in a melting pot of toxic environment, of a toxic environment. And knowing that we were poor, mm -hmm. this was something that my mother reminded me daily, you know, that we don't got nothing, you know, and you're not going to be anything. Hey mamas, welcome to the Being Mother Hustler podcast. I'm your host mother hustler, Kareen Mills. I'm a mama of two boys, founder of a tribe called Mother Hustler Nation, co-founder of the Game Changers Global Network, an insurance professional turned lifestyle entrepreneur, keynote speaker and author. Each and every week, I'm bringing you stories and thoughts from mom entrepreneurs who will inspire you to take massive imperfect action, unapologetically chase your dreams, and eradicate your excuses so you can quit treating your business like a hobby and turn your side hustle into full-time income. I know being mother hustler is not easy, but sisters, we are making it happen even in this beautiful mess. Thank you so much for being present with me today. Now let's go mother the world. From poverty to a life of hope, from a life of hope to a life of service and prosperity. That is Coco's anthem. Cassette Coco Leary loves to live out loud. She is a jubilant motivational speaker, professional coach, author, and educator who has overcome a childhood of poverty, abuse, growing up in orphanages, group homes, and foster homes since the tender age of 12 and finding herself pregnant with her first child at 14 years old. She has raised four children through hard work and painful decisions and has gone from years of surviving off welfare benefits to earning her university degree in public administration, graduating with the highest honor of summa cum laude, while serving as a staff member in both a senatorial in Congressional Office. Miss Larry pulled herself out of poverty in order to show others how to do the same. She exists in order to breathe life back into impoverished communities, rekindle relationships across economic class lines, and empower women. Woo! Mother Hustlers, please Help me in welcoming the mother hustler mothering the world this week, motivational and transformational speaker, author and certified professional coach, Cosette Coco Larry. Hey, 
Welcome everyone. My name is Karine Mills and I'm your host Mother Hustler on Being a Mother, Mother Hustler podcast. I am so excited because we have the author of From the Welfare to the White House, Coco Cosette Larry. Welcome, Coco. Woohoo! Raise the roof. Thank you so much, Corinne. I'm so excited to be here. I know we've been trying to get this thing going forever, and we're finally here. So I'm really excited to sit down with you and and really kind of ask you through your journey of how you came out of welfare and now you're, I mean, girl, you're on a mission, mama, right? So much. Yes, I am. And thank you. You are so welcome. So talk us through about your childhood because Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that our childhood, rough or not, they tend to define us and we tend to do things in our adulthood because of our childhood. It's almost like a reaction of how our childhood was subconsciously and the way that we think we do things when we become adults. So, so talk to us about that journey as you were growing up and kind of take us through your teenage years and how those years truly defined who you have become now. Absolutely. Thank you so much. My growing up, I'll start at about age 10 and kind of go through. I grew up in the ghetto, Mm -hmm. very impoverished neighborhood in Southside, Sacramento, California. Mm -hmm. Our neighborhood was predominantly African-Americans, Latinos, Mm -hmm. and people from Laos and everyone was scrapping for existence. In my household, the dynamics of poverty and lack of self-esteem that my mother endured Mm. was passed on to me in a lot of ways. Her knee-jerk reactions to a lot of things was out of desperation and a response to crisis. I see. Um, Yeah, unfortunately, she didn't have a lot of tools available to her to know how to parent in a positive manner. Mm -hmm. So child abuse became Mm -hmm. a daily ration in my home. And so I endured very severe beatings. She She had a refrigerator cord that she would use to beat me with. And I often, as a child, would look around my neighborhood and see the other families and see other single mothers Mm -hmm. and other just mothers in general, whether they were married or not. Mm -hmm. And I realized that even at 10 years old, Mm -hmm. that I was in a melting pot of toxic environment, of a toxic environment. And knowing that we were poor, Mm-hmm. This was something that my mother reminded me daily, you know, that we don't got nothing, you know, and you're not going to be anything. So by the time I was 10 years old, I started carving out an idea from my imagination of who Cosette would be if she had the opportunity to create the childhood 
that she wanted. And I would allow myself to go to these magical imaginary places and mm -hmm. I would escape into possibility. Wow. And that served me well and still serves me well. As I got older, by the time I was 12 years old, I was removed from my home. Mm -hmm. uh, child abuse had not really hit the forefront yet. It was 1985 and I was 12 years old. And I remember being like 11, watching a movie with Farrah Fawcett in it called The Burning Bed. And it was about domestic violence. And it was the first time I ever saw anything mainstream showing someone being beat. And my takeaway from that movie was the beatings were wrong. This is wrong to hit someone. Okay, so I'm going to stop you right there because you just gave me so much goosebumps, girl. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. So one of, one of the things that really, like, was downloaded to me, what my podcast, because it's become just more than now a space to hold or a place to hold space for women like you, for mamas like you, mm -hmm. for mamas like me. And really, um, it's like this space that I've been so hungry and starving to hold for my mom because my mom went through domestic violence. And as a little girl, I watched her, you know, my mom and dad wrestled. Yeah. And it's this powerless girl watching that that wants to fix everything. And so being the adult that I am now, and like I said, it, it shaped me to who I have become. That's why I love talking about childhood in the beginning of my podcast, because there's so much work we have to dig deep down there in our childhood to really heal. And so when you're talking about escaping from your reality and imagining a lot of the things like what if Coco can do this? What if Coco have all these opportunities? The one thing that has downloaded to me that my podcast has also become is to become a mother to people who doesn't have a mom or who may be jumping from one foster care home to another because of an abusive childhood like yours, yeah. who really needed that outlet. And maybe they don't feel like they belong to, you know, the, the actual home that they are placed in. And so they're looking for an outlet that maybe, hopefully they stumble upon my podcast. And so it's just these layers of purposes that I've really discovered and uncovered just by being a podcast host. So I'm like, oh my gosh, there's actually a lot of us that wanted an escape when we were children. And imagine how many children now that really can resonate to us when we were a child that are right now, as we are talking here, could be, you know, getting a hold of this podcast and listening to it while they're in the situation. So I wanted it to also become an escape for them and something for them to listen to that. Look at these used to be kids that are now hosting podcasts that are now, you know, authors. There's, there's unlimited potential for them. So I want you to speak to them. 
and talk to them about, you know, what's on the flip side if they're going through Mm -hmm. the same things you and I had gone through for whatever it is that they're going through. Like how, what is the inspiring message you can give them? Mm -hmm. What really was inspiring for me and really held the glue in my life to be able to go through all of those things and still come out a whole person was that I knew I wasn't the only one Mm -hmm. dealing with this. Even as a child, I knew I wasn't the only child on the planet. And I knew that there had to be other children like me. And I would really honestly think about that and begin to realize that in me, I have to forge a champion because my imaginary realities that I was creating was to be a hero for myself and then to become a stronghold and a hero for other kids. So that began my idea of service. And when I'm thinking about giving counsel to another youth who may be in similar circumstances, I would love to encourage them to embody the power of their pain that they are feeling and understand that by conquering this, by reaching out to other people for help, by letting people know what's happening in them in their lives, and then channeling those emotions into becoming an activist for what they're going through and what other youth may be going through that are very similar to what they're going through and to tell their story, tell their story, begin to write their story in tablets, begin to do it with all of the technology online, begin to tell their story because that will help foster their purpose. And that had a lot to do with me surviving the child abuse. Wow, what an amazing amazing that way. Mm. So how did you know that you weren't the only one going through that? And and I remember you said you were looking through the neighborhood and you realized that you weren't, that it was a toxic environment for you. Was that when you realized that you weren't the only one because you saw other kids go through that? Absolutely. Oh my goodness, you're hitting on so many things. Thank you. I remember noticing when other kids would come to school with whips on their arms too. Mm-hmm. There was a real cultural thing in the African American culture where a lot of us children, and I'm speaking from that, but I'm not saying that it's only for African American children. I'm sure children of all ethnicities may experience things like this but it was very concentrated in the african-american community that you the parents would whip you with extension cords Mm -hmm. and the extension cords would leave these whelps and you can wreck you would recognize those whelps on another child and you knew by the shape of it that they were getting beat just like you and so when i would go to school and i would see whelps on other kids I knew they were being beat too. Wow. Do you guys ever spoke of it together as children? Not until I got in the receiving home. Wow. When I got in the receiving home, I was 12. Mm. I saw 
so many kids I knew, some from the church we attended, some from the neighborhood. And we had a chorus within the tone of what we were saying because we were saying to each other, you're here too? Wow. You're here too? You, you, you can be me too? It's almost like me too, you know? like Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Girl. Love you, girl. Oh, thank you. Love Amazing. You Amazing. So, wow. You saw those whelps and... Yeah. You felt, you, you actually felt at home when you saw those whelps. That's, you know, as victorious as that sounds now, that's really sad at that moment, right? Very sad and confusing wow. because as a collective, we, as the children in the receiving home, many from the church that I attended and in my neighborhood, we knew something had been done to us something awful. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, many of them did not get past drug addiction or wow. prostitution. I saw a lot of my childhood friends become addicts. Um, we started out <laughs> Like when I got out of the receiving home, I got put into the sacramental children's home. Mm -hmm. And when I got to the sacramental children's home, we thought we were so cool because we could go up to the gas station and buy cigarettes, Marlboro cigarettes, girl. Wow. We were so cool, right? And fortunately for me, I never went beyond the cigarettes. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the youth did mm. and when we would sit around with our Marlboro cigarettes and then we upgraded to camel and I'm not endorsing <laughs> smoking I'm not endorsing smoking cigarettes I'm just saying you know this was childhood for us little orphanage this is kids, your you know. journey girl this is yeah, you know this was, this yeah. was, we, we, we were really becoming rock stars when we got up to camel cigarettes <laughs> so that's, that's the hard stuff camel and we would sit around and talk about what happened in our lives and in the children's home, I met other kids that I never even knew. And I remember there was one girl, she was so beautiful. She was my very first real introduction to a mulatto mm -hmm. person, half African-American and half Caucasian. Mm -hmm. And she had the most gorgeous blue eyes. I just was looking, I would always look at her and I would always tell her, you're so pretty. And she would say, thank you, Coco. You really think so? And I would say, yes, you look, you're so pretty. Oh my gosh. So like your dad's black and your mom's white, you know, we would talk and we'd have our cigarettes and we're talking and we would start sharing what happened to us, you know? So what happened to you? Unfortunately for her, when she was four years old, she witnessed her father shooting her mother in the face and killing her. Mm. And that's when she became a ward of the court. So as a collective of youth, with our Marlboro, Camel, cigarettes, many of them went beyond the cigarettes and they went to drugs, you know, 
cocaine and stuff like that. I had seen those things, but I, something in me knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, I, I wanted to beat this thing. I wanted to beat this thing. I wanted to beat child abuse. I wanted to beat being a ward of the court. I wanted to beat and win over unfortunate circumstance. Mm-hmm. So I would start to look for other ways. And I became an avid reader. I loved books. I would escape in books. And so instead of going to drugs or prostitution or whatever, I went to books mm-hmm. and I started reading from Maya Angelou and different people. Oh my gosh. Yes. You yes. know, and those type of people became my teachers. Mentor. Mentors through the books. And I even loved Tom Sawyer books. And I would just get all into Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn and Becky. And I would just escape. Wow. Okay. There's a lot here because I'm a self-love junkie, personal development junkie. I used to speed read. Now, like I take my time and I call it, I take, I chew before I before I swallow the content of the book and then I write down what I learn from the chapter of the book without reading you know without going through and writing down exact words but in my own words like I reflect on that chapter and I take notes so what do you think generationally conditioned your mom and every essentially a lot of the people in your neighborhood to do that to all of you, to a lot of you kids. Like, what do you think? Cause I know we have to understand where they come from as harsh as they, they probably, I am almost positive that I'm not making excuses for it, but a lot of the things that our parents do kind of like my mom who's still married to my dad to this day. And, they are conditioned by the generation before them and then the generation before them conditioned them too and so like i said we show up in our adult life because of what how we were raised it's just how it is right and so looking back at your older generation and i kind of understand why my mom is still married to my dad uh whether i'm against it or not because in their generation, like they were pounded with this conditioning that once you're married and also you put a layer of religion there, which is Catholic, mm-hmm. you know, once you're married, you become essentially like almost like enslaved to your husband, whatever he wants and whatever he does to you, you are the glue that holds the family together. And I believe that we are because we're just badasses like that. but it has its boundaries you know what I'm saying like it it can't be the way that my mom has been living her life there has to be boundaries and so but I know that conditioning wise my mom believes in that so so talk about what you think of how your parents were conditioned yeah my mother Her and I did not talk much. For her, I was too much of a replica of my biological father. Mm 
And when she would look at me, she would see him. So she would be like, get out of here. You know, go on, go to your room. Go outside. Yeah, get, quit looking at me. You know, looking like your doggone daddy type of thing, you know. Wow. But every once in a while, I would get a chance to peer into her a little bit, peeking around the corner. There would be times that I would hear her in the living room on the couch crying. Mm -hmm. And I would peek around the corner making sure she didn't see me because I knew if she saw me, she would get in a rage and you know, get out of here, you know. But as my mom would cry, I would look at her and I would wonder what hurt her. Mm. I knew I couldn't ask her because that was grown folk business. You know, I would be getting out of my plight. You, you, you all in our business. So I knew I couldn't ask her, but I would watch with curiosity mm. because I would cry about a lot of things and my mom would cry. When I look back on her now, being that I'm a mother myself, yes. four children, about to have my third grandchild, my first wow. granddaughter will be born in June. Wow, congratulations. I, thank you. As a child, I hated her and loved her. It was weird, but more hate than love as a child because I could not understand why my mother would be so mean and inflict such pain upon me. But now I really realize it was because she was hurting. Mm -hmm. She was hurting. And her rage and the burden of disappointment. I used to think after I got grown, I would think about me and my mom and I would say, I was kind of to her, like they used to have this saying that like people would have these t-shirts that would say, I went to Texas and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to see that all around. Yes, was, yes, yes, yes. And all I came back with was this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> I felt like for my mom, I was the lousy t-shirt. She had fell oh. in love with my dad. She had escaped a terrible identity that she had of her own. And as a youth, because my mother, I believe, was 16 when she had me. And she had fell in love with the man and lost the man, but she was left with this child, the t-shirt, if you will. And whatever was wrapped up in her romantic memories of her and my dad, be it good or bad, yes. I would find her sitting on the couch crying. Wow. Wow. This is deep. Yeah. You know, wow. the need for love. I've heard people say that the emotions of love and rage are not too far away of kissing cousins. Wow. My mother had me as a result, but whatever pains and struggles she endured, she also had the responsibility of having me. And when life was not going the way it should be going, I think she would have breakdowns. Wow. You know, Corinne, 
what it left imprinted on my heart mm-hmm. from being 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 and pregnant with my first child myself was the deep sense of wanting to be accepted. We want to belong. Mm-hmm. And when we don't a lot of times, we act out. Yeah. And not only that, it's learned behavior. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact that she came from a childhood where three braided switches is what you got your butt with, with real good. Wow. So I think for her and for myself, because let me be completely transparent here, because I'm, I, I love being transparent, because that's how people can have oh, breakthroughs. I started out the same way with my own children. Mm-hmm. That's why I say learned behavior. Mm-hmm. When I had Kayla and then Adriana and Champagne, I thought at first my knee jerk reaction was to spank their butt real good. Mm-hmm. I mean, real good. Smack them. You get your butt, you better act right. Then I began to realize what I was doing because I could see the look in my kids' face. They would look at me like, Mommy. Wow. And a woman is not like a, a four-year-old, five-year-old girl. So I'm not sure if I'm angry or confused or I, I, I mean, I am floored that he would even say that. And obviously I don't know who your dad is and I don't, I've never met him and I don't I want to judge him because I am spiritual person and, and I refuse to judge people, but based on our conversation right now, you're a little girl, like you're supposed to be protected. Yeah. You're supposed to trust people because that's what they do for us when we're a little girl. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I'm just, I just want to stop you right there because I just want you to know that I don't agree with them. Yeah. And I, I don't either. But at the time when he said that, it just, it devastated me. Like I, the conversation pretty much ended. Um, and I drove out and onto the road and I just started just sobbing. I just didn't know because I think as a, as a survivor, you, you ask yourself that question a lot. Like, did I do something? Did I somehow like make him attracted to me? Like you ask yourself these questions and then if somebody else, and especially your dad confirms that he has the answer to that question, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I lost it. Like I did not even know how to comprehend what had just happened. And I just, I was devastated. I just, I just sobbed and sobbed and I pulled over the side of the road and I was just sobbing and, um, and close to that same time I was introduced to, um, another man who um, had been working with kids for, I don't know, 20 years. So he had been um, around developing children forever. And he had, he was amazing. He was so good with kids. Um, But he typically worked with, you know, like 
10 or younger kids. And so I got a job kind of shadowing him and, um, and I did not know who to talk to. I didn't, I didn't know. So I just sort of verbally vomited all over him and I told him my whole story. And, and I think he was just sort of like, like he was, he had been working with developmentally disabled children. And mm -hmm. so to all of a sudden have this just horrific story thrown at him, I don't know if he quite knew exactly how to process that. But at one point, as I was telling my story, he said, um, Melody, did that make you less human? Does, does being sexually abused make you less human? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, what, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. And I came to realize that I had believed that about myself for, for years that being a victim of sexual abuse had made me less than. It had made me not good enough. It made me not like everybody else. Um, and then when my dad confirmed that I had been a participant in it, mm. I, I really truly believed that. And so when another voice spoke into my life and, and really put a, a, a stop in place there in that line of, of thought and said, just made me question it, it was just like the floodgates opened and I just, I wanted to talk to everybody about it. I wanted to um, get everybody's input. I wanted to have everybody see how horrific it was. I wanted everybody to see how horrible my dad was for saying what he had said. Um, and every single time that you tell your story, a little piece of your soul is restored and a little piece of, of you is found. And so it was, it was, even though it was the most traumatic thing that's ever, ever happened. And then compounded with what my dad said on top of it, it got me to start talking and it got me to start this process of like, oh my gosh, whatever happened to me was the worst, but it doesn't have to make me who I am. And it can actually, I can actually be a person. I can be human on top of this. Um, and so it just sort of like that the floodgates opened and like I had been a very proud person and I had said for so long, like, I don't cry. Like, you can't make me cry. I won't cry. There is nothing that's sad enough in this world is going to make me cry. That's amazing. Um, I love and then the floodgates just opened and I just wanted to cry all the time. <laughs> so, um, so it was, it was really actually like on the flip side of it, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. And besides, like, I, I want to be very careful to call it a gift because, you know, it's, it's, it's not from a humanistic perspective because it's traumatic. Mm -hmm. But if you take that experience and everybody else that was shunning you and not protecting you instead and all that stuff, once you realize that you're worth it and that you are just as human as anyone else whether they went through what you went through or not that's when you can literally turn that into such a positive thing and have a different lens looking back and realizing that oh my gosh i was chosen oh, i I'm, I'm like i don't like to use those words because it sounds so backwards you know it does but and there's a fine line like I've struggled with that a lot myself is would I go back and change it 
yes and no. I, I would not change the fact that I love who I am today. I have become an incredible person and like I want to know me. Yeah. Um, and and part of me says, would I have become this person without that? Maybe. I, there's no answer for that question. And so, and so I think once I was able to kind of get to that point where I could just accept it. Yes. It is part of who I am, but it is one part of me. And there's a whole other part of me that is bigger and stronger and, and is um, a beautiful person. And I love that part. Yeah. And it, it built your strength really. And you know, the more, like you said, the more you tell the story, the more you get restored and a piece of you gets restored. And, and that's really your strength. The more strength you gain by letting it go and letting it go is funny because a lot of people think letting it go is releasing it, but letting it go is like accepting that that was who you are. You went through that and that was part of the recipe. Like life for me is like cooking. I cook a lot mm -hmm. and without salt and salt is like when you bake and you miss salt, it ruins it. Like it's not the same, right? Salt's like literally we think sugar makes the sweets good. No, it's the salt. And so literally when you look at life, it's like baking. Like if you, if you don't have salt in life and salty moments and salty part of your life, I'm not saying that'll ruin your life, but I'm just saying that it won't create the person who you were supposed to. And it's part of the whole entire recipe, right? And that's yep. why I look at it as, you know, as bad as sometimes I think about my childhood. Literally, I became who I am today. And frankly, this podcast would not be here because the way that my podcast was, was created at first was because I still had this entrepreneurial lens and the business lens and all these stuff in my head. That's just, I used it as like a, really laboratory to learn from other mom entrepreneurs, mother hustlers, whatever career women to extract information so I can create a course around it. But then it started like restoring the pieces of me. It started healing me throughout the process of building this podcast. And then it, it started dawning on me that, wait a minute, I, I'm finally holding space for my mom, but it's not for her, right? Like the space that I wanted to hold for my mom growing up because I wanted to fix everything and like guide them. And then when we're in those like really tough times, we, we, as the woman, we go in and to the little girl and say, it's okay. You're, you're going to be okay. And oh my gosh, during the last couple of years, oh, I like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. <laughs> It's okay, just breathe. It's okay to cry. It's okay to yell, you know? And, um, and if someone doesn't know that they can do that for themselves, then as, as a mother, we can go to the younger girls who aren't mothers yet, or we can go to the other mother and say, you know what? It's okay. I got you. So We need mothers too. I was just telling yeah. my kids the other day, I need my mama. <laughs> and they just laugh, you know, because they look yeah. at you. It's like, you're our mom and you need a yeah. mom, you know, like. I joke around that, but it's true. We need a mother. Absolutely. And so, the, really my mom. yeah, with, with 
listening to you overall, I can hear that you have been personally developed because you, you can tell when a person is or not. Yes. When you're, when you have gone through a spiritual experience and you have switched a flip or flipped a switch in your brain that I don't question what happened in the past. Yeah. I know it's part of the whole design, right? And, and yeah. And that's, that's what I do now. It's like, I don't dwell on the past because it's part of the whole design and um, I'm not dead. So therefore I still have a purpose and I have not gotten it there yet because whoever created me, God, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, will tell me to come home and will do whatever it takes to make me come home. If it's my time. Yes. Um, you talk about that little girl and I have a friend and I was nodding my head because I have a friend that is a, full potential habits coach. Oh. And we talk about that. He doesn't call it that little girl inside of you, but he coaches business people mm -hmm. almost the, talking about that little girl, but in, in, not in that way. He uh -huh. coaches that when somebody is so successful, they wear power suits every day. You, you look at them and you look like, they, I mean, they look like super successful. They're a 10 in their profession. Uh -huh. They couldn't do any wrong. They're just kicking some butt in their profession. And then they come home and they're a one. <laughs> when you go back into that little girl self, like I'm talking about, I'm, I'm using your terminology. Uh -huh. You're a one because you're still, you still go back into that. You haven't quite learned how to tell that little girl, it's gonna be okay. We got this, right? right? And so one day I had shared with him that I had a blowout with a friend. And he asked me if, uh, he asked me to tell him just a little bit about it. And he says, you know, um, when you blow out of proportion, you actually didn't blow out of proportion because of that specific situation. It's that past in you and we can call it that little girl that that went through that trauma because i went through as a six-year-old watching my mom go through some real hardships with my dad mm -hmm. and some domestic violence and things of that nature and mm -hmm. he said that when you react to somebody it's actually not your current person reacting to it right. it's that it's that deep down there somewhere that if you're, if he talks to business people, it's holding you back from really yeah. getting your full potential, unless you learn how to leverage and take care of that emotion yes. and leverage it and say, okay, wait a minute. This is my, this is a little girl in me reacting right now. I need to, yeah. I need to take a pause and process the situation and you actually instead of reacting badly you are saying you know what let's have a conversation mm -hmm. i want to hear you out i don't think i heard you mm -hmm. can you explain that again instead of like reacting if you know how to control that little girl in you so when you said that like oh my gosh that's what my friend alex just like tell me all the time is yeah <clears throat> It holds you back, really. I think it does if, it, if you don't know how to control it. Sure. Or nurture it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like um, when I, I do that for myself, it's, it's challenging because I can get stuck in a drift. 
right? And, my, and I'm not enough. And, and why am I not enough? And he's dumping me because of this. And that. so I'm going through this transition, this divorce, right? With my husband. And he just left the space here. And uh, we're recreating our, our relationship. Like, so, <laughs> so last week was like, don't ever call me again, you know? And then, and that's coming from my, my worthy conversation, my, my not enough conversation, my, the conversation of, um, it's just, boil, that, that's just what it is. I'm, I'm not enough. That's the lie. That's where the, it comes from, uh, the, the conversation of the child, the, the little girl, that's where that comes from. But uh, that's how it's the noise. <laughs> it's the noise that we listen to yeah, all the okay. time. Oh, that's what I was saying. So if I get stuck in that conversation, it's like a broken fucking record over and over. You're not enough. You're not, see that he said this and oh, see, see, see that. <laughs> what happened. And, and it's always trying to prove, I could always stand in the place of proving, see, I am enough or just say, it's okay that you feel that way, but come on, we are enough now. And <laughs> not any other person or circumstance is going to prove to us that we are, we get to step into, I am enough. I matter. And anybody who doesn't believe that for themselves is just, it's okay. It's, it's not their time to be a part of our life anymore. And it's okay to, to say, you did what you did because of you, not anything to do. That has nothing to do with me and everything to do with your own uh, unnurtured, unresolved issues that happen in, in your past, in your, as you and your little boy self. Yeah. <laughs> So when I was writing, very well sometimes. <laughs> I'm not a little boy. I'm I swear I can have a beer with you right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a shot of tequila. Exactly. So I love how you said we're recreating our relationship yeah. because when I think a lot, a lot of divorces say, you know, we. I think it's normal to go through the mourning process and to go through some hate and to go through some. But what I love about you is you're so self-aware that when you get to that, you know how to pull yourself back and say, okay, hold on a second. You're not, you're not the person that I want to be. So we need to get back to, and the way that you frame your word is recreating or recreating our relationship, not ending our relationship. So I, I love that. Yeah. Thank you for that. You know? There's just, I tried, I tried, so I tried that on, right? Ending the relationship and being like severing a person from my life. And it, and even if it was through death, I feel like I cannot sever uh, the relationship. He is, he is, um, he is part of me. He is a part of my makeup, this vessel. We are, we are, we are a part of each other. And so I am, I'm not ready to end and he's not ready to end the bond that we have and to, to try to label it marriage, wife, husband, friend, part business partner. It just, mm -hmm. none of those really work. It's just like, we're a part of each other's lives in in so many different ways. And so now we have to emo emotionally can remember, <laughs> you know, what you've learned, right. And then, you know, talking to, um, you know, elders, if you just listen, to the knowledge and the wisdom that they have and it's oh great. yeah yeah I, this is such a good life now and you know like if i see on facebook complainers i just like 
I just skip it or, or just hide it, you know, not necessarily mm -hmm. unfollow the person, especially mm -hmm. when I want to see what they're doing other than the complaints that they're making. But I just feel like, gosh, there's so much to be thankful for in this life. Now we have everything at our fingertips. Like we don't have to work so hard. Like everybody else used to. Right. Um, and don't you think that the, you know, about the positivity, um, you know, the vein of positivity is that I believe that like attracts like, you know, that law of attraction, that the more it's like, if you start thinking a lot of negative thoughts, you start thinking more and more of them. And if you go down this rabbit hole, or if you yeah. fill your life with positive people and positivity and, um, you know, personal growth and helping others, that's what you get more of. Yeah. And that's the reason that I kind of, of course, I help my clients through things, but I also help them to reframe and see things in a positive, like, how do we turn this into what the life that you want? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I really believe in that. You, you're creating your future. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, it's like manifesting, right? Mm -hmm. and, it, and, and you can use this as an example that is such a simple example. And frankly, everybody believes in this, but yet when it comes to your own wants and needs, you don't believe it as much as you do this, which is like if you're shopping for a specific car and you know exactly what color, what model and year, you start seeing more of it. Like I did not know what a Tesla was <laughs> until I said, I want that car one day. That is my dream car. And then I started seeing and I want a specific color, which is white because I think white is pure and, uh -huh. and you know, like it has a lot of, and it's peace, you know, like a dove, yeah. a white dove has a lot of sim symbolic, um, yes. you know, yes. Symbolism. things to it. Absolutely. So, so, and then I start seeing a white Tesla and, and that's when you know, okay, if I can do that in the as simple as car, I can do that with anything, but yet people believe the car part but they can't believe manifesting the life that they want part. I, I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I understand why people get in, in that train of thought, but, um, but that's the thing is just getting people to believe that they can create the life that they want. Right. And being an example is one way, but you know, I, that's why I do what I do. I love to take them by the hand and just, let me show you how to do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're almost on our time limit, but I want to make sure I ask these last couple questions. Um, my second to the last question for you is that, you know, with, with all of these technological advancement and everything being so accessible now, if your kids were listening right now, what would you tell them? Oh, wow. Um, what would be your message to them? My message to them is just stop getting in your own way. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking that you are not um, capable or that you're worthy to have your big dream. You just need to, you know, I'm not talking about a goal, but I'm talking about a dream. Like to, that you deserve to have everything that you want in life and you can have it. And you don't have to feel like this wasn't for you. You know, I want you to feel that you can create the life that you want. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. If 
a woman that is on, I call it a pocket. If there's a woman right now listening to this podcast and they're currently in the pocket of being indecisive, whether to go for it or not, because I was there, right? <laughs> I, I, I had a, um, a traditional brick mortar business and I was in this pocket of pulling the plug or not to pull the plug and was very afraid of what was on the other side, even though I wanted to know what's on the other side, what would you tell that woman that is currently in that pocket right now? Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm not a big, you know, it's not like I will give advice and just saying, forget all your financial obligations and just go for it and, you know, be irresponsible. I'm not a proponent of being irresponsible. However, I am a proponent of just going for it and taking that, like that massive and perfect action, because if you don't, the answer is already no. It's already made for you. If you don't take that risk, you don't get to have it. It's already a no. So what is it? You know, what is it that you want? Do you want to wonder later, years later, um, about if you, if you should have, if you could have? Wow. Right? That's, that's um, awesome. There's definitely, I, I, there, when there's a will, there is a way. I will, I have lived it. I've seen my mom. I've seen, like, you know, you can do it. I've lived it. Right. <laughs> high five. I always... <laughs> High five, sister. <laughs> I always say, like, when you said the answers are already created, unless for every step that you take, the answer is right there waiting. But if you stuck, you're stuck right here, it doesn't yeah. come to you. Oh, it right? can't. It's the same thing. And this is what I tell people all the time. If you live here in the stuck, like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. I can't, you know, I don't know why I don't have the courage. I don't know why I don't have the confidence. All that is creating the same, more of the same thoughts and will actually keep you stuck, right? Yeah. You don't have to figure out why you're stuck when you're stuck. You have to uh -huh. take, you just have to move forward. You'll, you'll connect the dots behind you. True. That's how you figure it out. Um, and that's the biggest mistake that people make is in, in where they're feeling stuck. Is yeah. it trying to figure out why they're stuck? Yeah. It's that pocket. I, yeah. Um, I heard this the other day and I, I wrote it down. So I want to, I wanted to, before I go to my last question, I wanted to read it because it's, it surrounds this whole thing that we're talking um, about right now. And it's really, really powerful. And it says quitting doesn't take away failure. It just takes away the chance of winning. Oh, I love that. It's an amazing, um, it's an amazing statement. And it says confidence backed up by competence is magic. <laughs> oh, yes. And then for those who hit rock bottom and you think you're in rock bottom, it says when you rock bottom, it's not the bottom. It's a springboard. Oh, that's awesome. This is a lot of profound statement I heard the yes. other day. And that's what I, I do is I consume all these beautiful content and I just 
I just meditate about it, you know, like, oh, what does that really mean? Like for words my own life, are, yeah, right? Words are so powerful. It's powerful. Last question. <laughs> it's 1059. Okay. It's so okay. we're almost an hour. Okay. What, what is your definition of a mother hustler? Oh, a mother hustler. You know, number one, I think that you can mother without actually giving birth. There's a lot of ways to mother, as, as you know, being a foster parent. Um, so I think there's a lot more women that fall into the definition of mother. Um, a mother hustler is somebody who really believes in herself, in her mm -hmm. family, and that she can um, have it all, you know, and create the life for her children and for herself and be the example of what they can have outside of even her potential. Um, wow. You know, I, I think had I only, had I only stretched as far as my mom could stretch, I wouldn't be where I am. And I want my children to feel like they can be whatever they want beyond what I'm able to create. Right. Yeah. yeah but your impact though, Lonnie will, um, will go beyond our lifetime, like our impact that we're leaving, yeah. especially the impact that we leave with, you know, other women, other moms, our own children, you know, we don't know what our children's going to become with what right. tools we give them and what ideas we give them. So it's, it, it, I always say my impact doesn't have to happen in my lifetime. It can happen mm. beyond my lifetime. Like this is, this is a long-term you know, work, what I'm doing is a long term, I don't necessarily need the result in my lifetime. Right. So anyways, thank you so much. Wow. Wow. I've learned so much about you myself that I did not know about. So I appreciate you pouring into oh. this podcast today. My pleasure. I, I, before I let you go, I want to commend you for all the things that you're doing to make an impact to a lot of women out there, because a lot of women really do need that one-to-one -one help that you, you do, and you're already seeing the results that you're, you know, you're bringing into the world. And I know Dr. G is going to be on my podcast and she raves about Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> She, she loves amazing. you and she oh, is, I, I mean, she her. has a lot to give herself, you know, just the hug that she gives when you walk in her clinic yes. is amazing. So I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're on the right track and the smile. I, I, I can tell when people are on the right track um, because that, that smile and the, and the, and the um, facial expression that you give when you talk about, especially that 67 year old woman that you helped. And mm -hmm. I'm sure a vast majority of your clients, it's, it's soul enriching, isn't it? Oh, it is wonderful. And, it's, and it's, it's so amazing that we can even make a living too at the same time. And it's a byproduct, you know, of, of really what we want to do. So thank you for doing everything that you're doing. And um, I can't wait for, or our, our next coffee date, yes. or maybe happy hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'll see you around. I'll probably see you tomorrow at the networking in the morning. Yes, so. absolutely. Thank Take you care, so my much. friend. All right. Love you. I love you too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.
All right, sisters, thank you so much for listening and always supporting the Being Mother Hustler podcast every single episode, every single week. I know most of you take screenshots of these episodes and share it all over your social media outlet. And for some of you that's left us a five-star review, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so super grateful for you. Make sure you follow us on Spotify and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And it would mean the world to the entire Mother Hustler Nation community if you wrote us a five-star review. Because I'm telling you, this is not about me. This is not about you. It's about all of us in the community inspiring each other, learning from each other, and not allowing each other to make any excuses to chase our dreams. I swear I read those reviews and it fuels me to my core, makes me cry for great reasons, so I so look forward to reading those reviews. As always, sisters, don't forget to give, serve, live, and love. Have a mother hustling day.